This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good morning. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all this draft capital they have? Voila! Playoff contender. And Dan Weeder. And you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers. I just don't know what fantasy land that is. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I am David Haw from 670 The Score, The Mullen Haw Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. And we are here. It is week 18. It has arrived, Dan, as promised. You wanted to cancel it, but it's here anyway. (laughs) Bears-Vikings on Sunday at Soldier Field. But you know what? The game in this crazy, busy week on the NFL calendar almost seems somewhat inconsequential. Uh, But we will talk about the game. We've got a lot to get to because there's been so much else that has gone on this week at Hallis Hall and in every NFL city. 
Well, for, for the Bears, the game is inconsequential regardless of what happened elsewhere in the league this week because they're going to start Nathan Peterman on Sunday against the Vikings, and there's a possibility that Tim Boyle gets some action in mop-up duty at quarterback for the Bears. So that tells you where they are going into Week 18. We can get into a little bit of that and not much more of it when we do our game preview later here. But, David, you know this is a, a fast-focused Friday, as Matt Eberflus likes to call it. Uh, it's the final Friday. It's the last practice of the season, and you know that vibe inside an NFL building, even for last-place teams. It's kind of that last day of school excitement. There's a little bit of energy to it just because you can see the tape uh, at the finish line, and now it's it's your your job to, to sprint through it. I'm certainly feeling that. I put it out on Twitter on Friday morning that, that I had some extra caffeine Friday morning. Uh, it's been an eventful week, so I, I'll apologize in advance at the start of this episode for uh, the hyperness I have because I feel like there's a lot to get to and, and a lot of compelling topics, obviously, that we're going to talk about. I can hear it in your voice. Let's get started. So opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. All right, Dan, I think that you have to uh, acknowledge the fact that there's football to talk about. We'll get to that. There's the offseason to get to as well. But this week, whether you're an NFL fan or just a casual uh, non-sports fan, DeMar Hamlin and the incident Monday Night Football having to be resuscitated and now his recovery has captivated a country. And it has brought out in many ways the best in people. And I think that's worth mentioning as we sit here this morning on Friday morning, the news is very encouraging and the most positive it has been all week. He is in a hospital uh, room in Cincinnati at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. But the bills tweeted out that he has been communicating with teammates via FaceTime. He talked to the team uh, through that um, through that device. And I think that when he told them, I love you, boys. Uh, you just, it's a great, it's a great development in a story that has, uh, at, at different times this week, um, struck us in different ways. Yeah. I mean, David, the bills put out the tweet that said that, um, DeMar Hamlin had had the, you know, the, the tubes removed that, that were aiding his breathing. And then you get word that he spoke not only to his family, but the, the team. And, and I told you like the emotions that that produced the head to toe goosebumps you got just reading the tweet were powerful i can't imagine what buffalo bills players were feeling on the other end of that facetime call four days after right like i mean three full days <laughs> after they, they watched demar hamlin basically die in front of them on a football field in cincinnati be revived twice taken to a hospital be in critical condition and now reach the end of the week with the ability to speak to them Right. I mean, what a what a what a week, you know, on so many levels, um, not only for that young man and his family and his team, but but for the, for the country to kind of experience that uh, along with everyone, you know, and, and then and then for us, obviously, in our role here in Chicago of covering the Bears to have the opportunity to talk to, to Bears players about the impact of, of seeing something like that, of experiencing something like that, of 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 the the deeper reflection that that prompts it's been a powerful week there's no question about it and i know you've spent all week talking about it uh, on 670 the score and this is our first chance to kind of hash it out here well i think it's been something that uh among the more interesting things to see how players have responded because we see these guys as gladiators and it is such a violent sport and there's you know it's not a contact sport it's a collision sport is always the cliche and yet what this has done in, in many ways to many people is it's humanized them and so you hear 
uh, Josh Allen speak at the press conference on Thursday and you see him react in real time with tears in his eyes and yeah. Stephon Diggs and the Bills players. But, Dan, I, I did find it, and I'll let you take it from here before we get to the audio. Listening to Sam Mustafer and mm-hmm. David Montgomery locally at House Hall address their football mortality, the, the vulnerability that each player feels this week more than ever, I thought that was very powerful and gripping. Yeah, um, we got some really good sound here, and the Bears have some really good guys in that locker room who are able to uh, articulate and and describe the emotion that goes along with that. I'll tell you a little just a a personal aside here, watching that game on Monday night with my nine-year-old son, and experiencing that moment with him this is the year where where football became more than just an interest for him it became a every minute passion you know and to to to, to see a nine-year-old trying to process what he's watching on a routine tackle uh and then see an ambulance and then see his favorite players crying on the football field you know it, you're, you're trying to work through it and at one point my son was on his ipad he was in the fantasy chat room because he had uh jamar chase and tyler bass playing in his his final fantasy game of the season and so then i said what are you doing over there he said i'm just talking to two of my friends in the chat room there and so after he went to bed i i i like i'm gonna pull up and see what they were talking about in the chat really some heartening stuff from young kids understanding the magnitude and perspective of boy we really hope DeMar's okay. This is scary. I can't believe they're doing CPR. Things like that. And as a dad, you're, you're, you're kind of choked up because you know how, how big this is. And then you, you know you have to explain this to, to uh, you know, a kid who is a, a diehard fan of the league and a future, you know, obviously audience member. That's in our house. I can't imagine being in the households of people that have NFL players. In there, and Sam Mustafer, I think, was was terrific in in cutting open a vein and describing some of that this week on on Wednesday when we had a chance to talk with both him and David Montgomery about this. And and one of the first things that we talked to Sam about was just the as a player, kind of seeing that unfold, seeing it unfold on national television, and how. And here's what here's what Sam had to say in that regard. It's tough. Um... You know, there's a young man who's 24 years old, two years younger than me, in the hospital fighting for his life. Like, that's that's different. We go out there, and we go out there with this idea that, you know, we play a violent game. We play a violent sport. Excuse me. Um, I've played through multiple injuries, seen guys. I've been one of the people who had the face mask ripped off the helmet and strapped to a board. Um, but, you know, I think Ryan Clark said it. You know, you're just looking for that thumbs up, and there was no thumbs up, and that's that's scary. Like uh, to be reminded of, you know, the the game that we play, the finality of life. Like that's when I strap up, I'm not thinking about that. You know what I mean? And uh, it's tough. It was uh, it's tough to see. Um, you know, my prayers go out, my thoughts and prayers uh, go out to him and his family. Um, you know, all the people surrounding that community that is affected. Um, you know, I have teammates who I play with, who play with the Bills. I mean, we just shared a field with them the week before, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's different for sure. How do you put that out of your mind and kind of go back to your job and, and focusing on Yeah, um, it's tough. Um, it is tough. Like, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, you know, as tough as you want to be, as macho as you want to be, the, like I said, it's a violent game we play. You know, I understand every time I go between the white lines, I might not come out the same guy I was when I walked on. Um, but that's different. Um, you know, you, you try your best to compartmentalize everything, compartmentalize those feelings, and then go out there and uh, play the game you love. Like, 
love this game. It's given me so much. Um, it's afforded me so many opportunities throughout my life. And you got to put things in perspective that way. And, you know, there's there, there's really not many words to describe, you know, that, that type of feeling, the emotions, the mixed feelings that I have, because I, I do truly love this game. But when you see things like that, uh, you hate to see those happen. Yeah, I mean, David, I don't know about you, but I think obviously we've covered the league long enough to know that we've seen countless guys leave the field on a cart. You know, and you see the emotion sometimes when it's clear that a guy has, has immediately suffered a season ending injury or, um, you know, in the worst cases, it suffers a neck injury where they have to be put on that board, like Sam Mester for reference. And you see the, the way guys rally around that on the field. This was different. And the terror and the fear in the moment of that was so sharp and so pronounced that I, you know, I, I spent the, the the entirety of Monday night with a pit in my stomach from what I had witnessed to be there on the scene as Bills, Bengals players or coaches to be in the fraternity of NFL players. I can't imagine how much sharper that pit in their stomach was that night has been this week and may continue to be as they continue to sort through this. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, when you play that that sport and, and it's a choice, obviously, and they're rewarded well. But I do think that, you know, the, the examples you reference when there's a, a neck injury or a concussion or when you're dealing with somebody blows out a knee and there's the thumbs up and there's all of that, you know, football players understand the implied risk of the sport. And so you make that conscious decision to accept that risk when you play at, at a professional level, a college level, whatever the case may be. But I don't think you ever you ever think uh, in terms of a life or death situation yeah. because it's just not something you ever ponder your, your mortality when you're putting on a football helmet. You don't expect to see a teammate or an opponent or somebody playing the same sport you're playing having to be resuscitated because his heart stopped. So you don't anticipate having a hit like that which which to me, I think, makes a distinction between not that it's important, but I do think this week it has been instructional. There's a distinction to me between what happened to DeMar Hamlin yeah. and, and the, the the explanation medically and what uh, what we talk about on a regular basis about concussion awareness and 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 player safety, because what happened to. DeMar Hamlin was the equivalent of a lightning strike on a football field, mm -hmm. whereas I think concussions are more common in, in the game today. And I think that's why there has to be a preventative uh, uh, action and an awareness that is constant. But I don't look at you want to have a referendum on football when we talk about concussions and 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 that kind of conversation. Fine. But I don't think this is that. I think this is something much different and more traumatic because of how rare and freakish it was. Well, you equated it to a, a lightning strike earlier in the week. I equated it to when I get on an airplane and I sign up for an exit row seat and the stewardess comes around, the flight attendant comes around and says, hey, can you please get yourself up to speed with our procedures in case we need to evacuate this plane? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no problem. I'm, I'm happy for the leg room. You're not thinking, you know, like I, I can't imagine if, if you then had to, to use the details that are in that that card in the back of your seat back pocket how uh, it'd be a holy shit moment right like oh my god now how am i ever gonna gonna do this again and that's some of the the things emotionally and the bridge that these players will have to cross here i have no doubt that most of them will successfully cross this bridge here in in the coming weeks months and years but there for some it's going to be traumatic and it's going to sit in the back of their heads and it may cause them to shorten their career 
voluntarily just, I don't know that I want to take these risks to this level. It is a rare occurrence. Uh, you know, it, yeah, again, like, so we'll, we'll go, we'll go into this, the second piece of sound we have some from Sam Mustaver, because I think it's for a lot of these guys, it's when they speak with their family, when they speak with their, their close friends who aren't in it, that, that it, it hits them in a different way. Here's some of what Sam Mustaver had to say about that. Yeah, um, yeah, I've had friends text me like, you know, how you doing? Like, is it different? And I'm one of those guys I don't like to talk about a lot of things with a lot of people. I really keep it internally. But, you know, my family understands that. Like, at the end of the day, this is my job. This is what I have to do. Um, but, yeah, they don't they don't sign up for that. His, uh, his mother didn't sign up for that. She thought, you know, she was going to watch her, her baby on Monday Night Football. Like, that's what we dream about. Like, Monday Night Football, primetime game. And, uh they don't sign up for that, but it, it's unfortunate. Uh, my best wishes go to them, to her, being a parent. You know, it's, that's tough, man. I can't imagine. Like, I, I want my son to play football. You know, I, I do. I, I love this game. I love what it's taught me, the life lessons, you know, the responsibility, the accountability, the teamwork. And, uh, you know... I can't imagine, like, you know, seeing my son out there like that. I saw, like, I know how my mom would feel. I know how my dad would feel. So it's uh, it's unfortunate, man. David, to, to sit in that room Wednesday and to see that single tear come out of Sam Musfer's eye and kind of roll down his cheek, you know, it's a, a, a you know, again, it's a, a humanizing moment, right, for the entire league where when you're on a beat, you get to know these guys. Well, you get to develop an appreciation for who they are. And then in moments like this, you develop an appreciation for what they sacrifice and for what they invest and for what they are dealing with. Um, let's go right next into David Montgomery, who, who, who talked about kind of his emotions. This is Wednesday again, before we knew some of the promising progress that DeMar Hamlin had made about his kind of uh, experience of, of processing this since Monday night. Yeah. Um, well, for my family first, after I watched it and I kind of felt my emotions, it, it gave me, um, it made me go hug my family more. Mm. Like, I hugged my girl and I told her thank you. Um, you know, I called my mom, I called my siblings, let them know that I love them. Um, because when stuff like that happens, like, sometimes you take for granted the play that you get. And... It's always an opportunity and a chance that you don't get to play the next play. Um, so I always, it made me look at it a completely different, understand that um, it's important to tell your family members and everybody that you love them. And, you know, the guys here, um, going back to the emotional piece, being able to tell the guys here, you know, um, that I love them and I do appreciate them and who they are, how they come to work. But. Um, outside of being football players, just who they are as humans, um, understanding that um, I show my love and my gratitude to those guys. Did you feel, did you feel different coming into work today or going out to the field today? Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of uneasy. Um, it was just one of those things you put yourself in a situation, and understand that it could be you. Um, so, like, it was definitely been the, on the forefront of my mind um, because. You know, it hasn't even been, you know, three, four days yet. And, you know, he's, he's in there fighting for his life. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it's was it been on my mind since it happened. It's going to be on my mind. And, um, yeah. Dave Montgomery's a pretty powerful speaker, too. They picked two guys who definitely are 
leaders in that locker room whose voice carries a long way and also has a kind of perspective that you saw across the league, frankly, in every NFL city. I think that what we were reminded of this week is just how fragile, you know, uh, each career is. And so that the recognition of that and, and, you know, amplifying it from these guys is pretty refreshing. Yeah, there's no question about it. And that's a very good word is fragile, you know, and, and I think we take it for granted a lot uh, when we go to games, when we watch these players play games, you, you know, you just don't know uh, when it could be your last play, as David Montgomery said, a lot of those times it's it's because of an injury. In this case, it was because of a life-threatening emergency, uh, which obviously brought the impact of it down further. We'll have plenty of time in the months ahead to, to kind of talk about what this means for the future of football. Uh, you know, to your point, participation rates already dropping in the in the lower ranks because of the head injury part of things which is right. I, I agree with you it's a totally different lane on this discussion but this is <laughs> i guarantee you there are parents across the country that that experienced that on on monday night and said oh god you know like i, I gotta give some some second thoughts to, to what we're doing with this got one more piece of sound from david montgomery because i want to follow up after uh we hear from him just about kind of the the resources available to players now in today's NFL and, and, and that component of, of players understanding that their uh, mental health and their emotional well-being is, is a huge part of what they do. Here's what David Montgomery had to say on that, on that front. Being sure that we be translucent, that we are translucent um, and allowing everyone to feel whatever emotion that they feel and not judging them upon the emotion that they feel. Um, you know, allowing everyone to, to go through what they got to go through mentally, whether it's taking, you know, some time or, you know, taking a couple of plays to breathe a little bit or, you know, coming together as a full team and talking. Like, we had a, a great conversation this morning um, with the leadership council and the rest of the team. And, you know, Mr. McCaskey came down and, you know, he talked to us all. He let us all know that he here with us and he, he's here for us. Um, you know, we got our leaders stepping up and allowing everybody to know that this is a safe space, it's a safe haven for everyone to talk and be uh, completely vulnerable um, so that, you know, that you can express what you need to express because, like I always say, mental health is a real thing and this situation um, can be triggering um, for a lot of people's mental health, but, you know, we handling it accordingly and we, we in constant prayer for him and his family. That's really uh, also powerful because it's one thing to be a league that wants to embrace mental health initiatives and everybody can have the social media team that, that promotes uh, uh -huh. mental health awareness. But when you hear the emotion in his voice and using the kind of language, frankly, that he used in describing everything, you know that, number one, he is somebody who has bought into this and is, is using – using his resources to his advantage. And also just when when it's uh, so prevalent, uh, it, it's more than just a commercial. These, these are real, this is real progress being made in a week where it's never been more necessary. Well, what, what I wanted to ask you, because you obviously played college football on a high level, and in my time covering the league, I've seen an evolution and, and a, a door opening up. Uh, Montgomery used the word vulnerable, um, you know, just to see the 
acceptance of players being able to express their emotions, to come to grips with their emotions, to do those things. That that didn't exist when you and I were growing up. It didn't probably didn't exist 15, 20 years ago in terms of how far open that door is. I just I'm curious your perspective, having lived this in a different way than I ever did. Yeah, I think too, you know, going even back to this is the 20th year covering the Bears, you know, at the beginning of that tenure, um, guys were probably not encouraged to the point of, of expressing themselves, of being open or even talking about it, there, there would be probably discouraged, know, right? I mean, <laughs> or discouraged or mocked, you know, yeah. if, if people were this open about their feelings in the bears locker room 20 years ago, my sense is that they would be uh, reluctant to do that because of the repercussions from a, you know, peer pressure type of way. And, and there's not any, one or two examples or one or two players I'm thinking of specifically, but I do think just overall the culture in the NFL at that point in time, it was, it was less accepting of things like talking about translucence and mental health awareness and, and vulnerability. They would be viewed as soft. Um, so that's, you know, my career in my experiences as a, as a reporter, you know, going back to when I played, you know, generation ago, it was totally different because, you didn't really even understand what uh, what that what that represented. So you you didn't think about fragility and all you worried about. You know, I played college football, so all you worried about was getting beaten out and being the toughest guy in the room if you could. So, you know, going from uh, I had an experience again. This is not related to. Uh, what Demar Hamlin went through, and but you, a concussion. Uh, you're you're on a stretcher. I'm in an ambulance. You're in an emergency room, and all I could think about was, am I? It was in the spring. Am I going to miss a practice? Yeah. And it wasn't about, boy, I want to get in touch with my feelings, and I want to understand the risk reward <laughs> calculus. There was none of that conversation, and frankly, there were no resources available. It was just, am I going to miss a practice because I can't lose my job? And so we've come a long way since then. And I think it all represents progress because you could hear from Sam Mustafa, from David Montgomery, from Josh Allen throughout the league. There are all kinds of examples this week of just how far the league has come. Last thoughts on this. I, I, I give the Bears a lot of credit. They have their leadership council, as most teams do, to be able to sound these things out in a very productive manner. And those leadership council meetings are much more productive when you have a group of good leaders. I think this team, for as much as we kill them for, for losing 14 games and not having one in two months and everything else, has a locker room full of human beings that you want to build successful things with. Like I've experienced that all year with guys who are mature and grounded and capable of perspective and all of those things. And when you have that kind of leadership, it helps you. It helps you through 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 difficult times, which, you know, there are different <laughs> brands of difficult times as the Bears have, can, can surely attest. Um, but a credit to those guys, because you said, look, like David Montgomery and Sam Mustafa are, are, are great leaders and great speakers in that locker room. We were giving the Bears PR team a list of 15 guys that we thought would be good in this environment and, and said, like, like, look, we get some guys aren't going to want to talk. You know, they don't want to get on that stage and, and be this vulnerable. But the fact that there were that many guys yeah. that we felt that, that, that were capable of doing it is a testament to, to some of the stuff that they're building there. You know how rare that is. There's, yes. there's some years where you can't get to five. You can, you know, it's a right. short list. And this is not one of those years. Yeah, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. I think the awareness has been heightened and, and the conversations are valuable. We'll continue to have them here on the Take the North podcast as this evolves and, and hopefully as DeMar Hamlin continues to recover. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let's get back to football. Let's get back to the field. Let's get back to Sunday's Bears-Viking game with our game preview. All right, Dan. So we found out early this week, well, I guess midweek, Justin Fields not going to play. He's got a hip sprain. Strain, yeah. Sprain, strain. (laughs) However, they're spelling the made-up injury. No, it's not. I know. He's got a hip. He's got a hip. And it's the hips principle, not the hits principle. <laughs> I called it the quits principle because I think they've conceded here. I think they want to lose this game. and They're doing everything in their power to make sure that happens. And certainly Justin Fields not being on the field is a good way to make sure that happens. So just a light moment because that was pretty heavy in that first segment. We get out to practice on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Wednesday's walkthrough was closed, and we walk out there for the you know, whatever eight to ten minute period that's open. And uh, good friend Mark Podcast or Mark Potash, friend of the podcast, uh, who who always has that 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 perfectly dry wit, gets out there. He's got his roster with him, and he gives me a little elbow and goes, "Which one's Peterman?" <laughs> and so it was for me it was just that moment of yeah this is this is week 18 here at Dallas Hall he was kidding obviously but when when Nathan Peterman and Tim Boyle are taking your quarterback reps and it's pretty clear that there is zero intent of trying to win this football game on Sunday it just tells you where you're at listen I understand it we've gotten to this point in the season I think that there is a practical decision here to be made with Justin Fields uh, there's a practical decision to be made to protect his health there's a practical decision to be made based on what we saw in the second half in Detroit where the offensive line couldn't protect at all. And you say, why, why, why are we going to take our chances for this? The experience is valuable. We feel like he's gained a lot of experience through what he's di- done since August until now. Let's not tempt fate here. Let's go ahead and, and finish off where we are in terms of draft status, figure out whether we finish one, two, and and let's just move on with this. And and I, I have no qualms with it. We've pushed back for a long time this week. Whatever. Make, make whatever decision feels most comfortable for you, and we'll turn the page and move on. Yeah, people going out to Soldier Field that thought they were going to see a quarterback uh, make history or one who has made NFL history can still say they did that because Nathan Peterman still holds this record <laughs> for throwing the most interceptions in his, his first NFL start. So you're still going to see a historic NFL quarterback for the Bears. Nathan Peterman's last start also, as you know, came in week uh, in. Well, it was in November of, of 2018 against these very Bears when he was with the Bills and they got beat 41 to 90 through three interceptions. Leonard Floyd returned one for a touchdown. Uh, the play that 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 
signified that day to me more than any was at the end of the half with the Bills getting blown out. Peterman had a chance from from the Bears' side of midfield to throw a, a Hail Mary into the end zone, but was so scarred at that point of that game that he just took off and ran for like 20 yards and ran out of bounds to end the half rather than take <laughs> the risk of throwing another interception. You're already getting blown out, and I was just like, wow, this kid is broken within this game, and I don't know if anyone can ever fix him. Obviously, he's lasted here another four-plus years, and we'll see what he's able to do uh, Sunday. But people don't come to the podcast to hear our, our breakdown of Nathan Peterman. They hear they come to us to hear what we think about Justin Fields. And this gives us an opening now before the season ends to kind of do our season-ending initial wrap-up on, on what we saw from, from Justin. And, and so I, I'd be curious just to kind of get your you know thumbnail of, of how you feel now that we know for sure that his 2022 season is over. I think he has established himself as a dynamic playmaker, uh, somebody who has uh, the ability to change the, the, the course of a game with it on any given play. And those uh, players are very difficult to find. This is what special looks like. I've said that on occasion. I will repeat that because you cannot coach that and you certainly can't defense that. So in this season's emergence, Justin Fields, to me, while not fully – feeling satisfied with what you have, he has answered the question of who the Bears' future quarterback is, who is your franchise quarterback. I think the Bears have to answer that question by saying it is Justin Fields because they have too many other questions to address. That's not winning by default necessarily. It kind of is. But I think that you can do two things. You can acknowledge the fact that he has a room to grow as a passer. You can acknowledge the fact that he has, you know, been it's incomplete in his progress in terms of a passer. And you can identify some of those reasons why are related to the lack of an offensive line and, and wide receiver talent. He he has to improve himself personally. Uh-huh. He will get better as a supporting cast does too. But he's your guy. And I think the Bears have to learn to love him, even though we don't know for sure if Ryan Poles does. I think eventually he will come to that conclusion. So my three-word preview for the 2023 offseason is see it through. And it's you have to see through the swing that the previous regime took on Justin Fields because he has shown you so much as a playmaker, so much as a leader, so much as a steady hub of energy within that building that you have no choice but to take this as far as it will go collectively with Justin, with his coaching staff, with everything else, it's a good choice. I say you have no choice as if that, 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 that would be like, there'd be some resistance to that. No one's going to fight that. I bring that up only because there's already been this, this chatter on, okay, you're not going to get a chance to pick this high ever again. Would this be your time to, to roll the dice and take another quarterback and trade Justin Fields? That would be the boldest move in the history of, of, of Chicago sports decision-making if Ryan Poles decided that he was going to flip the page on Justin Fields after one year together and take a bigger swing on someone else, given the belief and the hope and the energy that Justin Fields has created in an entire city. That's just one small piece of this conversation. I don't know how you do that as a first-year general manager who has not built up the credibility <laughs> or the track record to be that bold, Dan. Maybe he would. Maybe he will. But to me, if I'm sitting here on January 6th, I'm saying that I believe Justin Fields has a greater chance or I have more confidence in Justin Fields becoming an elite quarterback than I do in Ryan Poles' becoming an elite talent evaluator. 
that's not a knock on polls, but I think if you're if you're looking at this and you're, you're suggesting drafting a quarterback with the first or second overall pick, I don't want to hit reset again at Hallis Hall. I don't think they need to find a practical way to make this work. And I love your three words: find a practical <laughs> way to see this through. Yeah, and, and so like, there's a lot to this conversation and it will only get more involved, but Ryan Poles' voice is more important than anyone's in it. And at some point next week, he will sit up at a, a dais at Hallis Hall and he will give us his thoughts. He may not be able to give us his 100% unfiltered thoughts on everything for a number of reasons. Doesn't want to say things out loud in a public forum. Doesn't want to tip his hand to people who might be interested in coming to trade for their draft pick, whatever it may be. But he better make it clear to people that matter what his stance is on the quarterback that he has in his building right now, because you cannot create uncertainty in that regard. I'll turn that over to you. And then I've got a, a handful of things to share because I had a fun Thursday at Hallisall. Well, I do think that he's walking a very fine line and it's a very delicate balance in projecting any kind of public doubt if in your quarterback, if you haven't privately assured him that he's the guy, because you might want to project public doubt to cre- increase the value of whatever pick you have in the first round. But in doing so, if you cut into or erode any kind of confidence or any kind of inner chemistry rapport, let's talk. It's Justin Fields. If you if you create doubt internally, yeah. in Justin Fields, that's a mistake. So it's going to be uh, a delicate balance that Ryan Poles tries to strike. Yeah, you got you got to do it. So on Thursday, I had an opportunity first to have a one on one with Luke Getze, and then later in the afternoon, we had a chance as a group to talk with Andrew Junoko. And these two guys' input, perspective, insight will be valuable in what the Bears are doing going forward. You said something a, a couple minutes ago about determining why the passing game was as broken as it was. This is a collective effort at Hallis Hall to put together that pie chart, right? You have to say, okay, offensive line, receiving core, play calling, quarterback, other. There's, a, you know, there, You're going to break this pie up. And for those who believe that Justin Fields doesn't have a piece of that pie, you're just living in la-la land and fantasy land, and that's fine. But it was really cool to, to listen to the guys that have coached him most closely, you know, for, for eight months now uh, to, to get a feel for, for kind of how, how they feel about things. I'm going to share some things. I know you, you've played this on, on 670 The Score, uh, some of the thoughts from Andrew Janoko. I put out a tweet thread on Thursday night uh, that if, if you are a, a person that is interested in this quarterback, there's probably some stuff that you're going to enjoy and and like hearing. So here's some of the stuff from Andrew Janoko. First of all, he said that that Justin was peeved, was was the word, that he wasn't able to play on Sunday. You love that, right? Andrew Janoko said, dude wants to play, which is, is a great sign when you have a quarterback who uh, wasn't necessarily down with the big picture organizational decision that was made about his health for this week. That's a big deal. Now, Janoko also talked about what we just said, that there's going to be a, a, a plan put in place as an organization to uh, figure out what they can do to put their best foot forward and making sure they get Justin where he needs to go as a quarterback. They have to give this their best effort across many different channels to try to, to again, see it through and see where they can take Justin as a quarterback. There's been a, a firm appreciation inside that building, David, all year about the way Fields has picked up the offense and understood it, the way he has taken control of everything on game. Day that's pregame, postgame, huddle, sidelines, all those things. They've seen undeniable growth in the pocket awareness he's had. Uh, they've seen him him improve his understanding of, of reads and progressions. And then the quote that I think resonated with a lot of people in the moment, and then obviously on social media, and when they hear it on the air, is when I, I asked Andrew Janoko about what 
Fields' ownership does uh, for the group, right? And, 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 and how that is a, a valuable asset that he has. And he says he wants this to be his franchise. He wants this to be his city. Just the way he works, spend five minutes with the kid, and you know he's a dude. He's a dog. He's an alpha. He wants to be it. And I'm sure you would agree that, that, that that's one of those made-for-social-media quotes that will excite a lot of people in regards to who Justin Fields is as, a, as a, a football player, a leader, and the guy who wants to be QB1 for a long time. Oh, yeah. People will eat that up. I mean, you want that kind of mentality, somebody who embraces the responsibility and all that comes with it and wants to own the city. We have said for years and years and years, if you're the quarterback of the Chicago Bears and you have some success, you can own the town. It was the thing that Jay Cutler really never fully embraced. That was part of the reason why I think that there was this reticence and this distance always between Jay and and maybe Bears fans. He didn't have the success either, but that willingness to want to uh, be the guy, the alpha mentality, that's what Justin Fields exudes. It's obvious to anyone that watches him that he possesses that inner confidence that um, that I think Andrew Janelko was trying to describe. So I'll be working on a deeper piece for for later in the month, but kind of the, the report card on Justin Fields' second season. And one of the best voices for that is Luke Getze, because as you know, the one of the reasons that I've really come to appreciate who Luke is, not only as a coach, but as a communicator, is he keeps it real, right? Like everything that comes out of his mouth is sincere, it's genuine, it's grounded. It, it, he doesn't feel like he has to play games with the way he speaks to people. He's direct, he's honest, he understands that that resonates. And he's direct and honest, and he resonates with Justin Fields because Justin wants that in his world. And so the union between these two guys at Hallis Hall has been uh, a match made in heaven, in my opinion. And it's going to going to be able to take them both where they both want to go if they can see it through in the proper ways. The chance to ask Luke Getze some positive questions, some critical questions, uh, the, uh, get him to, to provide an overview of the season was was fascinating for him, for me. And one of the things that you said uh, or asked me to ask him going into the interview was just you know that midseason, that October tweak when we made some twists to the offensive plan and and and, and changed things around and how they were going to operate. How much was there? To, to be made of that. What was that? Uh, you know, what did that unlock? And, and, and really what he said is, look, it, it gave Justin the chance to shine what he has that no one else has. And so they made these schematic tweaks and he said, it just created more freedom for Justin. It created more confidence for Justin. And all of a sudden it got, basically it got the airplane that the bears were boarded on away from the gate, right. And onto a runway when we were stuck in a delay for the first six weeks of the season. And then all of a sudden you saw them, them take off. Now, to go along with that, Luke is very aware that the Bears finished this season, most likely, as the number one rushing team in the NFL and the number 32 passing team in the NFL. And he's bothered by that. And he said, that's real. He used the word sustainability. It came out of his mouth without it being said by me. And he said, teams that are really successful in the league need a balance that helps their offensive success be sustainable. They understand that they found pockets of success throughout the year, that they found wrinkles that could get them in the end zone here and there, that they could have a four-week surge where they averaged a lot. This offseason is going to be about creating that balance. And how do you create balance for a team that's first in one category and 32nd in another? You focus on the thing that that made you 32nd, right? And, and you figure out what that is. And Justin has ownership in that. I've got a few more things to share, but I, I'm curious how you feel about just the, the open and honest admission from inside the building that, that what they did this year 
will not produce sustainable success. Well, I think that when you say that and you're employed by the Bears and you're whether you're Luke Getze or Ryan Poles, as he said last week on the pregame show to Jeff Joniak, and you're objectively critical of what you need to do to take that next step, that sounds like football talk. That's really valuable, and it's 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 relevant because these are the people that are around there every day. What, what gets confusing, and we don't need to revisit this, but when you say the same thing that is is similar or similar thing to what Luke Getty is saying about the offense and the passing game or about Justin Fields that Ryan Poles described, then all of a sudden you're a hater. Or that's all of a sudden you're, 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 you're going the other way too far and you're being too critical of a quarterback you don't dare criticize. What Luke Getze said to you one-on-one and what he has said every Thursday throughout the season has been refreshing because of its candor, because he's not afraid to coach Justin Fields as hard as he needs to coach him, and he holds him accountable, and also because he he's practical. He realizes that the number one priority in this offseason, if you have his job, is to improve the passing game and it starts with the quarterback and then it goes to personnel and getting the right people in place. So a couple more things that I wanted to share and, and, and um, you know, first and foremost, you've got, you've got a quarterback that is impressive with his steadiness and maturity. And I said this on to, to Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes earlier in the week on 670, the score, I said, I, I've been impressed that Justin Fields is able to handle criticism of Justin Fields so much better than a lot of Bears fans are able to handle criticism of Justin Fields. And that's a credit to him. And the coaches in that building talk about how that that emotional steadiness that is one of Justin's greatest strengths allows them to get places that they're not always able to get to with every player because you're not worried about bruising an ego. You're not worried about a fragile psyche. You can just coach. You can just coach hard. You can understand. You, you can know that, that the message will be received the way it's intended to be received. That is a huge gift for a quarterback at this stage of development. So let's not underrate that. I asked Luke what excites him most going forward, and he said, look, Justin is still so young and raw in this. And that's the coolest part because these other gifts that he has gives him the opportunity to pursue success in a way that, that he can take it as far as he wants to go. The, the work ethic and the mindset are there, he said, to chase it like nobody else. And then we got into a concept that related to a play that related to a season-long flaw of Justin Fields that I think is worth bringing to the attention of our audience. First of all, I put out a, a tweet earlier in the week of a screen grab, and I apologize in advance because I'm still technologically deficient. And I didn't realize that screen grabs off the all 22 are like, that's like, so 2016, you know, and I got killed by people like, why don't you post a video? I don't know how to post a video. New Year's resolution, off-season goal, learn how to post video on Twitter, okay? Like, that's just a full-on honest admission that I'm uh, technologically flawed in that regard. But you know the play I'm talking about. It's the, 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 the play where Justin Fields lost a fumble against the Detroit Lions, and it's a microcosm of the thing, all the things they want him to work on this off-season. That's why it's such a, a telling play to me, because it's everything they want him to work on. The play, as you know, starts with a max protect look, You've got eight guys in in protection, only two in pattern, and only one primary read on this play. It's a shot play to Dante Pettis on a post-corner route. Justin sees a single high look before the snap, and as soon as he takes the snap, the Lions kind of roll that corner to his left back into a, a bit of a cover two look. The Bears coaches wanted Justin Fields to recognize that quickly, hit the throw. We've talked all year about anticipation throws. 
Get it out of your hands. Fire it. Trust your receiver. Make the play. You can make all these other arguments. Justin doesn't trust Dante Pettis because he's dropped balls and he's not a, a top-tier receiver. The offensive line wasn't going to give him help. Don't make these excuses. Justin's not making them. The Bears coaches aren't making them. So he misses that 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 read, right? And you saw him pump on it. All right. So Getzey says the next thing that, that Justin's supposed to do on that play is get his eyes quickly over to the running back. In this case, it's Khalil Herbert. And he, Khalil Herbert actually got hung up in a little bit of trash. They had four players blocking one, David, and, and, and Herbert went over to chip there and kind of got hung up there. But Justin's still got to know that that's his next read and get the ball over there for a check down. What he does instead is decide, I've got to become a runner here. Gets out of the pocket, takes off, and, and, and carries the ball carelessly. Something he hasn't done all year. It's just out to his right, gets strip sacked from behind, the Bears lose the football. Getzey's point on this play is that even if Justin holds on to the ball, it's a first and 10 play. Even if he protects the ball well and he gets taken down from behind for a one or two yard gain, that is too much mental and physical fuel to spend on a play that's first down in the second quarter of a game. What he has said, this is this is Luke Getzey's words, is that Justin has a habit of holding on to plays too long. And I asked him to clarify that because Mitch Trubisky had a habit of holding on to plays too long in a different way. He would make a mistake and then he would be stuck in his head for three or four plays thinking about the mistake he made. That's not what Luke is talking about. Justin has the ability to etch a sketch mistakes out of his way. His hold on to plays too long definition is that if the play is designed to get you 18 to 20 yards and it's not there, you have to be comfortable letting that go and getting to that check down. And understanding that that second and five is a big play for this offense, an important play for this offense. Justin spent his entire college career with the luxury of having great protection and terrific weapons and being like, I can just wait. I can just wait for this home run to be here for me and hit that play. You're not going to be able to do that at this level. So that was one play I think that talks about timing, anticipation, getting your check down, understanding how to do the simple simply, and all the things that come into the next step of him being a qualified passer. It's hard to deprogram at that point because of he things did come more easily at Ohio State and he's not there any longer and he's still a young quarterback developing. I also think that his ability to improvise sometimes could be in that case, in those examples, a curse more than a blessing. Yes. Because you always think that you're capable of escaping this impossible situation. So I'm gonna hold on to the ball as long as possible. And it's it you don't ever kind of process quickly enough to think, well, I need to just concede here because you don't have to concede. You're Justin Fields. You could turn something, you can turn nothing into something very quickly because you've done it before. So those are all really good examples. We heard Matt Eberflus tell us uh, you uh, a month ago that that the, the running that Justin is doing needs to be reduced and it needs to be reduced situationally. You have to understand that on first down, you don't need to try to hit the home run. And w- one of their lessons for him is just trying to take the, the fuel usage away from him, physically, mentally, emotionally, of, of those types of plays. You know how much easier it is to just, boom, hit the running back for a check down, get five yards, and not have to run around, use a bunch of, you know, physical, mental, emotional energy, and then take a a big hit at the end of a play like that, that's what they're trying to get off his plate. That's what they're trying to do to get this passing game to the next level. There's so much more we can get into as we go. Um, But like really fascinating stuff from inside the building that that tells you kind of that they're breaking up that pie chart and they see deficiencies and flaws that need to be worked on. It doesn't mean Justin Fields isn't going to become the quarterback that Chicago – believes he can become and in some pockets believe he's already has become, but there is definite acknowledgement that look like this is, this is a, a climb and it's a steep climb and let's see where we can go with it. 
the only way he will become that quarterback is if they coach him that hard and they see the things that they need to see as coaches and they aren't deluded into this idea that he has already arrived the way you know, they're not fans. They need to look at this critically like coaches do. And, and that's the good news. And I think Luke Getze has proven that he is not going to be dazzled by any sort of – by anything. This is a grounded uh, young coach, and the Bears are lucky to have him. All right, Dan, the perfunctory part of the podcast. We'll <laughs> get to our predictions just to get them on the record. I'm saying 31-13 Vikings over Bears, and I'm afraid that Nathan Peterman might have three interceptions and Justin Jefferson might have two touchdowns. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm actually having to pull this up because it's so perfunctory that I forgot what my score prediction was. Here it is. It's 24 to 13 Vikings. It's so meaningless that, uh, you know, I don't even really know or care what the final score is. I have uh, taken the liberty already of writing about 60% of my game column for Sunday because the proceedings that are on the field are irrelevant to the big picture view of this team. So uh, maybe we can get our get to our postgame pod Sunday evening a little bit quicker than usual because I'm already ahead of the game. What do you think, Studs? Uh, yeah, we could probably just do the post game pod now if you guys really want to. Uh, and, oh no, honestly, we should we should wait for the final of the of the Texans and the Colts game because that yes. has a bigger impact on, on that's the game. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be watching the Bears game, but really, you're going to have a, a hard eye on that on that Texans Colts game. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter what the score is going to be. Uh, you know, Minnesota thirty Bears ten. I guess is what I put on six seventy the score dot com. Honestly, if the Bears <laughs> score a point, it's going to be a win. Like, I don't know if they're going to – they probably – Minnesota's defense is bad, so they'll probably find a way to score. But, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they're going to lose, and I think we're all if, – if they win, then I don't – like, it might be the most disappointing win that I've ever sat through. Like, I don't really? know. There's been a few of those. Every win this season has been disappointing in Chicago, though, so maybe not. That's true. Yeah. That's true. No, no Texans. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to our Inside Hallis Hall segment. Dan, this week was momentous. Thursday, January 5th, Virginia McCaskey, team matriarch, beloved um, figure in Chicago sports, and uh, somebody who has been around for, I think, 1,415 Bears games, turned 100 years old. Remarkable achievement. Uh, the only person in Chicago who might not be impressed is Sister Jean, <laughs> the Loyola um, chaplain. And I think that Virginia McCaskey is uh, one of those, uh, what, just a, an icon in in uh, the NFL just because of her stature and how long she has just she's been omnipresent with with everything involving the bears and the mccaskey family so one of the things that i'm truly grateful for during my time on the beat is 2019 because that 100th year celebration was so well timed you know the bears hits the one year where the bears had a good season beforehand right 2018 they win a division they win 12 games they're in the playoffs and there was a a vibe and an energy in chicago that made that celebration in you know the spring and summer and, and into the fall of 2019 so enjoyable and energizing 
advertising. And as part of that, in the spring, in March of 2019, Rich Campbell and I got a chance to sit down with Virginia McCaskey at the Arizona Biltmore at the owners meetings for a 25-minute podcast. Like Virginia McCaskey came on our podcast to talk about kind of her 100-year history. Um, or, you know, obviously at that point, I think she's 96. But the things that struck you, David, were, were, were the enthusiasm and, and, and the spirit and the competitive spirit she has for, for what this team means and what it is. But then also this, the, the sharpness of her memory to be in her 90s and remember in vivid detail things such as the 1932 uh, de facto NFL championship game that was played indoors at Chicago Stadium because they wanted to get a better gate, right? They wanted to sell more tickets and they didn't want to be outdoors for this game and remembering the odor of that game because the circus had just been through town. It's it, it's fascinating. And she just had so many anecdotes and so many stories from, you know, 1932 to 2006 and 2018 and beyond and, and everything in between. And you're just like, wow, this is this is a, a woman who is an encyclopedia, you know, whose father founded this league, who, whose father poured his passion uh, into everything he did with the Chicago Chicago Bears. And it was just such a, you know, for 25 minutes on a spring day in, in March 2019, just an invigorating experience to be in her presence. It's a great privilege that you guys had. I mean, that not everyone has that kind of access. And and the fact that she was as, as willing of a participant says a lot about the type of woman that she is. And, you know, what's always impressed me about Virginia McCaskey, Dan, is that this, this isn't somebody who Obviously, she grew up in a football family, but I don't think that she ever envisioned being in the position that she has been in for so many years. You know, her younger brother, mm-hmm. Muggs, as everybody knows, it died unexpectedly, tragically in 1979, the last game of in December of that year, the last game of the season. He has a heart attack and all of a sudden things in terms of the succession plan change. And when George Hallis passed, then all of a sudden there's Virginia and she has never acted in a way that felt like this was a burden. It was just more of a blessing. And so there are many things that people have criticized over the years about the McCaskey family, and they will continue to be polarizing in Chicago. It is yeah. the Bears after all, and they are a public trust. So I think a lot of people feel you know, obligated or they feel entitled to criticize the family like it's uh, you know, like their corporation, but it isn't a corporation. And Virginia McCaskey has always been somebody that the, has been protected by the family, I think, and in the organization. And the players, uh, with very few exceptions over the years, have had the utmost respect for her. Yeah, and, and so in 2018, uh, Virginia McCaskey spoke to that team before the season began. And, and if you remember, it was you know Labor Day weekend, they acquire Khalil Mack, and all of a sudden Matt Nagy's bringing this new coach energy into the building. And Virginia McCaskey addresses this team in the Muggs Hallis Auditorium there at Hallis Hall. And, and her message was essentially talking about confidence, about what it takes to achieve high-level success. And, and I remember hearing from monsters on that defense, guys like Danny Trevathan and Akeem Hicks, how struck they were by her expression of what confidence means. And I'll never forget Danny Trevathan say that, that she said that the, the, the 85 defense was so confident that it scared her. Right. And it was like that level of of just certitude and, and alpha and anything you want to attach to the greatest team in, in team history 
resonated so deeply with Virginia McCaskey that she feels a need to pay it forward to these other generations of Bears players to let them know that's what it looks like, guys. Like, that's what you have to develop. You have to develop that confidence. And I just love those those types of, of moments of this, this woman in her 90s standing in front of that group of guys who ended up being the best defense in the NFL that season and, and expressing that in a way that got them fired up. You know, that's cool stuff. Um, couple other quick stories for you. So Virginia McCaskey told us in, in 2019 that for the 1963 NFL championship game, they I think Virginia has 11 children, if I'm not mistaken. And they had kind of run through their allotment of tickets and they, they had to cut people in their family out of uh, – going to that 1963 NFL championship game against the Giants, which is obviously the last championship the Bears won before they won the Super Bowl. And her daughter, Anne, eventually decided this game is going to mean a lot more to George than it is to me. And she willingly gave up her ticket to George McCaskey. It was a nice show of, of, of sibling love and affection that always resonated with, with Virginia as, boy, I've raised some some good kids. And I think you'd agree that the, the McCaskey family is a pleasant, kind, generous family that that, you know, look like, I documented all the time in the last 30 years, the bears have had 11, 11 last place finishes and four playoff victories that's under the microscope. But as people, as human beings, as, as, as folks you want to be around, they're pleasant. And I'll have one more anecdote, but you, I, you've had experience. Yeah, as well. that, yeah. That's always been the, the conundrum is that, you know, when you're evaluating them as a, as a, a family or whoever runs a football team, running a football team, it's easy to be critical because they haven't had the success that they should in Chicago, but as a family and relatability, it always been very uh, warm and whether, you know, I've probably gotten to know George and Brian better than um, other people in the family. And I've had maybe, you know, obviously when I was back on the beat, when I first came to town, everyone has that moment where, you know, the, you get a golf cart picking <laughs> you up at Bourbon a or training camp. You go to meet with Virginia McCaskey and she asks you questions and you get to know her. And you remember that because those moments are pretty rare, but I do, I, I would echo what you're saying about the family. There's just a definitely you see, um, I don't think they ever envisioned being as polarizing or as public as they have become, yeah. but it, it is the family business. So that is the reality of it. But uh, yeah, there, there's very little to, uh, to criticize when it comes to, to that, those kind of relationships, because uh, yeah, it's just a relatable family. One last anecdote in March, 2019, as you remember, Khalil Mack was then what Justin Fields is now the Uber star, the guy that everyone thought was going to carry them to the next level. And George McCaskey was sharing with us the story of the weekend that the bears traded for Khalil Mack. And he said that, you know, Ryan and, and Ted had come to him and said, Hey, we've got a chance to get Khalil Mack here. Here's, here's what we're talking through. And so George went to his mother, Virginia and said, uh, Mom, uh, you know, we have a chance to trade for Khalil Mack, but it's going to take us two first round draft picks. And Virginia said, OK, go get him. And George, you know, pumped a fist, walked out of the room and, and, and gave the green light. And he said a little while later, Ted Phillips came back to him and said, this is going to cost us 90 million dollars to sign him to a contract extension. And George said, Mom can read about that in the papers. <laughs> he never took that one back to her. He said if she read it in the papers, he could say, you can't believe everything you read in the Tribune, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I had not heard that one before. I, I did know that he went to her before making that move, but I didn't know that <laughs> he did not tell her exactly how expensive Khalil Mack would be. Money well spent, by the way. Yeah. But, yeah, that uh, that's a good one. 
All right. Happy birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, Virginia. Happy birthday, Virginia McCaskey. 100 years old, the matriarch of the Bears organization. And um, just uh, somebody that is very, very easy to respect uh, at Hallis Hall. All right, let's close things up with a two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Good news this week. Devin Hester, a Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist for the second year. Dan, I think this is the year he goes in. I don't care historically if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I do care if he doesn't get in. I think he uh, changed the game in a way that everybody in Chicago remembers. So Devin Hester, I think, will get the call this week i'm sorry this uh this year next month yeah super bowl weekend is when these guys find out for sure devin was hurt last year when he wasn't a first ballot hall of famer which is understandable i think it's cool if he gets in this year because david did be class of 23 right and, and how, how symbolic would that be to have number 23 go in in this year uh i had a chance in september to talk to devin about this and really you talk to anybody that's part of the hall of fame selection committee and they say look like first ballot guys to them are are, are guys whose case you don't need to state you just stand up and in that room and you say Peyton Manning and everyone goes, yeah, Hall of Famer, put him in. When there's a debate about it, it, it takes a little longer for some people to wrap their arms around it. Devin wanted his case understood on why he wanted to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I asked him why, uh, you know, kind of how he processes that it's a probably a when not if proposition for him. Here's what he told me back in September. It was, it was, I was frustrated. I was upset because at the end of the day, when you look at the Hall of Fame, you look at, uh, you don't categorize a guy for what position they play. You kind of got a guy on what he brought to the game of football. And that's what that's what I want to be, be viewed as. I don't want to be viewed as a special team. I want to be viewed as a national football player. And what value did he bring to this game of football? When, yeah, when, when they tell you, and I've heard this from a lot of committee members that, that are part of the process, that, that it really is for you a when, not if uh, proposition of when you will be in that Hall of Fame. How does that resonate with you, knowing that <laughs> that your day is coming? It may be this year, it may be next yeah. year, but it's coming. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's coming, you know what I mean? But I was I was more so. I was just, I really wanted to do a first ballot. I didn't want them to just classify me and say that we're, look at me as just a special team guy and say, well, we can't push a special team guy as a first ballot. But in reality, I wanted to be fair. Every guy has a position on the field. And whether it's a returner or a quarterback, you know what I mean? You got that when, when the Hall of Fame name is, is, the name of Hall of Fame is brought up, you have to put the best that ever do it in the Hall of Fame, yeah. regardless of what position. And that's what I was pretty much trying to present myself at. Listen, I know I'm a special team guy. I know I'm a kickoff return returner. But at the end of the day, do you look at me as the best to ever do it? I do. <laughs> I do. I, I, I mean, I know I'm biased because we watched every game that he ever played in Chicago, but I think that the standard is what the standard is. And if you are the best to ever do it, even if you're in the top three, which that would be the argument, Devin Hester belongs in Canton. Former Bear Jared Allen, also a finalist for the Hall of Fame this year. Why? How? <laughs> I mean, not as a Bear, David, for what he did in Minnesota. The guy he, has is this the all interview team or the all uh, the Pro Football Hall. Oh, of come fame? on, Jared Allen was elite as a pass rusher for all right, a I'll long give you period of time. I'll give you that, but if you let Jared Allen in, how many other guys are opening the door to? Uh, uh, Boy, we'll have, we'll have a later discussion about Jared Allen's credentials because I'm probably biased in that regard too. But he he was I, fantastic. That I will look forward to that debate during Hall of Fame week. Um, also, Dan, this week at Hallis Hall, you know, with all of the attention, obviously, 
elsewhere. How Barkish returned and it brought to mind what he went through um, back in July, I believe, and, and he was resuscitated and he was brought back and he has had a long recovery. And this week he made his return to Hallis Hall. Hubarkish, of course, the publisher of Pro Football Weekly, a longtime staple on the Bears beat and somebody who uh, was back at work this week. David, it was I think it was early August when he was leaving a training camp practice and and collapsed on his way to his car and the, the parking lot for training camp was not on site at Hallis Hall it's a, you know you have to walk down to a, a campus down that football drive there and he was found and 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 he was suffering <laughs> cardiac arrest and 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 had to be revived by Bears security uh VP John Tarpey and 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 I remember that day and the feelings inside that room when when Hub was taken over to Lake Forest Hospital that that Hub was gone you know, and, and, and that, that fear. And then the other day I walk into house hall on, I, I think it was Wednesday and I, you know, the, the, the setup there and, and hubs just kind of mingling around in the press conference room. And I saw him through the glass doors and I just kind of looked up and then I was like going about setting my laptop up and I'm like, wait a second, that's hub, you know, like it, it, seeing him there, it's just so normal because I've seen him there thousands of times over 10 years and to have him back in there was so cool. Tarpy was able to come to him uh, and, and give him his, his badge, his security badge back and said, you dropped this, you know, and just, just an emotional moment to see hub back in there looking like a million bucks, by the way, he looks fantastic. Uh, I know you've heard him on the radio. He sounds good. The, the progress he's made in four months, really, really, really cool. And then just to give you one more Mark Potash anecdote for the podcast Potsy comes in as, as hubs entertaining a group of about six of us over by his cubicle and mark walks in the door and hub is standing in front of Potsy's cubicle and Potsy says hey that's my seat <laughs> <laughs> and it just reminds you of kind of the bond we have as as people in that room and how much everyone just kind of enjoys that part of the experience of covering a beat and being able to, to kind of bust each other's balls I love uh, Tarpey's uh, handling of that situation. Hey, you dropped this. That's great. And um, it, it also says everything about Hub being back on the scene, that he has been back maybe – he was back maybe for eight hours before he alienated the uh, Bears fan base <laughs> like going on the score and questioning Justin Fields, which was beautiful because it was just vintage Hub. He has his opinions. Those opinions remain strong. You take them, you leave them, you love them because he is – the kind of guy you want on a beat, he 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 brings it each and every day. Yeah, and Hub's son Arthur, who was part of the beat for a little while, was was able to be there with him on Wednesday. And obviously, Arthur's been through a lot in these last four months, and just to hear him express kind of his gratitude and thanks to all of the people. Um, from the Bears staff that responded so quickly to the doctors that have gotten his father back up and running to this level. Uh, really, really cool. And and you know, look, we've talked about a lot of powerful moments on this podcast. That was one of them this week. Last thing I have, Dan, the bookkeeping matters, but Equinemity of St. Brown signed a one-year contract extension, $1.25 million. Don't want to be cynical here, but did he earn that? Look, you, you gave the important parameters there. One year, $1.25 million. That doesn't guarantee him a role in week one. It doesn't guarantee that he's on the 53-man roster next Labor Day. It guarantees that he's in training camp. It guarantees that he's got a chance to try to build on whatever he laid down here in 2022. I don't think we need to over-exaggerate the significance of it. I think that people in the building see him as dependable and selfless and they, that, that he can play a role in this offense. We all know they have to upgrade that position. We don't know whether Equinemius St. Brown will be part of it the next time Justin Fields plays a game, but he certainly has a chance to continue 
continue here. And then obviously perhaps alongside a, another receiver who made waves this week with Chase Claypool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really good that they gave him a chance to win the bet with his brother next year. So that would be <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, I would not make that bet a second time if I'm EQ. I mean the Lions the Lions are are on a upward escalator and the Bears have a long way to go to catch up. If I'm EQ, I say, hey Amonra, like let's just take this year off. Last thing quickly, Chase Claypool, what'd you make of his I don't want to call it an apology because it was more explanation. What I like about it is that the intent is what I want out of Bears players in the locker room. And that's let's not accept losing and high level failure so quickly. And he was upset in the second half of that that Lions game that the Bears uh, weren't putting up a fight and seemed to be okay with it with every three and out that they went back to the sideline with. What I hate about it is Chase, Clay- Chase Claypool's played a handful of games and hasn't had 20 catches as a Chicago Bear. He hasn't earned his voice or his leadership torch in this Thank locker you. room yet. And so it's not his place or his time to do that. I love that it illuminated another moment where Justin Fields could go be the forefront leader of this football team and say, bro, calm down. Like, this is not the the way we channel our passion. This is not the way we channel our emotions. Right. Great handling it by Justin Fields. I love what Chase Claypool wants to be about. You got to earn it. You got to earn it before you start becoming the guy that's doing those types of things. Listen, yeah, like because if you have a track record for being immature, you don't want to add another line to your resume. The the Bears put up with it from Brandon Marshall for a long period of time, but Brandon Marshall will go out and get you 105 catches and 1,400 yards. You know yeah. what I mean? Like like that's when you can put up with that, man. You got to produce before you earn the right to 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 kind of want to put yourself up on that chest puffed i'm gonna be the the you know the the spark here kind of guy earn it man earn it i agree with you i i that was the first thought and i think that will be our last one here on the take the north podcast this time because this has been oh well wide ranging a <laughs> lot of stuff we got to dan it was worth uh, going a little bit extra here and um we will look forward to sunday at soldier field damar hamlin justin fields virginia mccaskey hub Devin Hester. I mean, Mark like, <laughs> like we're, we're, yeah, I mean, this, this might be our best and most thorough episode yet. And, uh, and, and to do that on the Friday of week 18 for a 14 loss football team, that's, that's a, that's a victory here for take the North download, listen, and subscribe to take the North podcast. You can watch us on the Odyssey YouTube channel. Also the six seventy the score YouTube channel. We'll be back Sunday night or maybe Sunday late afternoon, depending on how the game goes, how fast it is. Bears and Vikings on the lakefront for Dan Weeder and Adam Stadzinski. I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening and watching the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.